0: hi and welcome to bts podcast this is your host Lenae cook on this episode of bts podcast i am speaking to teresa moses she is the co-founder and creative director at blackbird revolt amongst many other titles and hats that she wears if you didn't listen to the previous episode which shame on you definitely go back and listen to the previous episode This is a part of a series that I am doing with organizers in Duluth, Minnesota, and so I highly encourage you to go back and listen for context, and if you're not going to do that and move forward with this episode, here's the context. So, prior episode is with Jordan Moses, that is coincidentally Teresa Moses' husband. They are also business partners, and they have a company called Blackbird Revolt, where they work with organizations to where they work with organizations and focus on representing their efforts through strong messaging that increase awareness, funding opportunities, and make a positive impact. So essentially, they work with organizations that are in line with their values and focus on fundraising opportunities, campaign rallies, awareness events, design, so much. Like, think complete branding and essentially business development for purpose-driven organizations. While Jordan is the strategist, so to speak, and is he is titled the visionary director. Teresa is the creative end. Her work is incredible. I had the chance to look through a zine, I would almost call it a book because it felt much weightier than a zine, that she did for a project in Duluth, Minnesota, which we talk about and get into quite a bit. In addition to being co-founder and creative director, at Blackbird Revolt, she is also an artist and assistant professor of graphic design at the University of Minnesota Duluth. In our conversation, Teresa and I discuss what she does, how she does it, how she works with organizations, how she decompresses where she finds drive with her art and her own work, and what it's like not being able to visualize liberation and freedom. And and I bring that up now because I do want to say it brought to mind a recent piece by Vincent Cunningham in the new yorker where he said something that was just really really hit home and so i want to share it with listeners it's about a black girl who has these natalie portman fantasies and she's using these fantasies as an escape from her real life and he says freedom hurts most when you can taste but never fully partake in it There's a link to the full article in the description of this episode. There are also links to Blackbird Ripple and their socials. You should definitely follow them on Instagram, see the work that they do, recommend them to the people that you know. You'll notice that Teresa and I talk about a really heavy project that she's working on. So I talk to her and ask her questions about the weight of it and the work that it requires and just all those types of details that you never really get to hear about when you're experiencing a final product or even, in passing when you're having a conversation with people. The event, unfortunately, was canceled due to the pandemic. There was a lighter version, but it certainly wasn't the original plan, which was to have Brian Stevenson. You may know his name from the film, Just Mercy, or if you knew about him before, even better. He was supposed to speak and it was the hundred year commemoration of a lynching that took place in Duluth, Minnesota of June of 1920. And Duluth, Minnesota is the first place in the U.S. to have a memorial to the victims of a lynching. You'll hear us talk about CJMM, that is the Clayton Jackson McGee Memorial. Their whole mission is to foster racial justice and promote healing and reconciliation. So what that really means is telling the story and then looking at how things have not changed that much between 1920 and today, and examining that and reconciling with that. CJMM was formed in June 2000, which is 80 years after the lynching took place. There is a really interesting book that I highly, highly recommend that you get called The Lynchings in Duluth. There is a link to it in the description of this episode. It's by Michael Fetto, and it tells the entire story, and you really get to understand the nuance. And I highly recommend reading it. It was really illuminating for me and important for me to read it before going to Duluth and speaking to the team who is working with CJMM and visiting the memorial. And so it was, um, it's definitely very heavy. There's uh, a lot of heaviness when it comes to reconciling the racial injustices that have gone on in America since the start of America as we know it. So please do get the book, give it a read. I think you'll get a lot of insight from it. I highly recommend that you learn more. And I think if you're in a city that has a history of lynchings, I recommend you look into CJMM and their work and what they've learned, because there are actions you can take in your community that will make a really big difference. If you look at the impact of addressing these issues head-on and these really gruesome things about our past, there's healing that comes from that. Ignoring them and trying to sweep them under the rug doesn't work and I think that should be very evident by now. There is also a book that I recommend picking up after you read The Lynchings in Duluth by Michael Fetto called The Lyncher and Me and that is by somebody who realized that one of his ancestors is in fact one of the people who was doing the lynching and so that book is him examining his own racism and his own upbringing and looking at that. And so I think that that's really interesting. I recommend you checking that out as well. There are links to both of those books in the description of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. I loved talking to Teresa. There are links to both the Blackbird Revolt site and the exhibit that we discuss. And please do look into those, check them out. Her work is gorgeous. Tangentially, one of the things I love about our conversation is that Teresa discusses honoring her students and establishing relationships with them and having deep discussions around ethics. And so whether you're a student or a professor or teacher, I really recommend that you give this a good listen, send it to your teacher friends, because I think she has just a really beautiful approach to the classroom that honors the students who are in the classroom and fosters in a really incredible learning environment. Thank you so much for listening. I am not doing any promos in any of these episodes around CJMM and the work being done in Duluth. So in lieu of that, if you would like to support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash Podcast. If you become a monthly supporter, which I hope that you do, the money from... The months of June and July will go directly to the ACLU to support their work. So your support is appreciated more than anything. I really hope that you share this episode and any other episodes that you enjoy with people in your world, share them at work. For anyone who might not understand what organizers do, what activists do, I think that the conversations around CJMM with Jordan and Teresa illuminate the amount of effort that go into putting on something like a commemoration event like a march a rally and really making an impact so give those a listen please share them you are welcome to join the facebook group it is called hashtag bts podcast listeners and guests or maybe it's guests and listeners i can never remember but it's a public group look it up please join you can submit questions subjects suggest guests whatever you like And please do follow BTS Podcast across social media platforms. I have this podcast on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. You just look up at BTS The Podcast because BTS Podcast was taken. Thank you for your time, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook, and this is... Another episode in the series that I am fortunate enough to do in conjunction with CJMM, which is the Clayton Jackson McGee Memorial, and I'm with Teresa Moses, and we are doing these episodes, and I'll, I'll explain it just in the intro, that way you're not tasked, I don't want to task guests with explaining it every single time, so yeah. I'm explaining it in the overall intro, and then uh, I get to talk to each of you who is available and involved with what you're doing and the importance Mm -hmm. of this project and Mm -hmm. just what it means to be doing the work that you do. So I'm really excited and thank you for being on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we met, At your home when I recorded with your husband, Jordan, Mm -hmm. and then we finally found time to record together and I'm super excited and I'm actually really glad we didn't record that day because it was the weekend of Martin Luther King Jr. Day and so I hadn't, we'd met before I'd seen the work that you did for the march yeah, and before I'd seen the book that you did um, in conjunction with an art exhibit, so we have a lot to cover. Sure, yeah. So if you could could start out, you and Jordan have Blackbird Revolt together. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk about the work that you do? Because you're on the creative side. And so you're on like the, you know, the visual representations for the company and your clients. So if you could just talk about high level, like what that work is.
1: Mm -hmm. So um, I think what we, where we've kind of situated ourselves in sort of like agency world, design agency world, is really with a focus on social justice, and like our mission is really clear about that. You know, promoting social change through conscious creativity. And so we, you know, just as you know, clients are looking and picking and deciding who they're going to go with as far as design agencies. We do the same thing with our clients, right? Um, you really have to be able to um, reflect our mission statement in the work that you do for us to work with you. Um, and so that's kind of a way for us to kind of filter out folks. Um, but so that's kind of where we situate ourselves. And so on the creative side, you know, we do things like branding, web design, you know, anything from like print. Right now we're working on a curriculum um, for a nonprofit organization who does things around like anti-violence against women. And, you know, we do a lot of anti-racist um, design as well. Um, a lot of, you know, um, queer empowerment. So. Um, We do a lot of things that are, I think, providing a voice to communicate um, creative messaging around anti-oppressive issues. So I think um, that's kind of where we fall in line, you know, with. So we do a lot of work with the NAACP and um, Clayton Jackson McGee. We're doing all the design work for that. Um, Like I said, we do a lot of nonprofit organizations. Um, within the community. We worked with um, Hot Dish Militia, who's like a, um, an organization really promoting uh, reproductive rights and um, health. And so, uh, so yeah, I think that's kind of where we, we lie um, as far as design, you know, stuff. So, yeah. And
0: you somehow managed to balance that with also your own personal work. You had a show in Duluth That I got to hear about and see Mm -hmm. the, I don't know if it's considered a zine or a book, but it was like, I feel like a really beautiful like magazine type book
1: Mm -hmm. that went
0: along with it that was anti-racist and also demonstrating love and like very, like black is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so when you're doing this and you're managing your work with company and then you're managing the art that you do separately Mm -hmm. Um, how do you carve out time for that because that's a lot
1: it is and I honestly like just my personality type I really do love to do things Mm -hmm. Um, and so and I love to be in different different uh, sectors of different things so I think that kind of drives Jordan a little you know, (laughs) like wild when I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this project and I'm also going to do this one and I'm also going to do this one, you know, but I think for me, it's about making sure that like, I don't stay stagnant and, um, I just, I just really love it. So like to be able to, um, have personal work, like I really try and find intentional time to be able to do that just because, um, I, I need space to heal and that's a, a time for me to be able to do that. And so, um, you can check out actually the whole show on, um, I just put up a website called Umbra com. How do you spell um, that? Umbra is U M B R A. Perfect. com. Yeah. And, um, you can check out, you know, all of the pieces there. And I have, I mean, I have like four or five ideas floating in my head of more pieces that I want to add to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, for me, Umbra was really a time for me to validate, um, you know, not just like the things that I was going through, but then also be able to validate uh, the experiences of Black women in this community. Um, And then I put my education hat on, because as an educator, I'm always like, okay, how do I inform people and how do I... So there's so many layers to the exhibition where it's like a validation for Black women, but then also a teaching moment for um, folks who are not Black women to be able to understand the experiences that we go through every day and how they contribute and perpetuate racism and sexism and classism, Um, you know, so those intersections, how do they contribute to those? Um, So you can either support the system or you can be um, actively fighting against it. There's kind of like no in-between. So um, that was what Umber was all about. It was really a way for me to decompress. At the end of the day, like, I'd be like, you know, oh, I need to, I need to finish this piece because I need to go to the printer and I got to do this, this and that and um i'd be like i don't really have the drive and then something racist would happen that day and i'd come home like okay let me finish this piece let me like type up this thing so like you know it was like it was a it was a pretty interesting experience i feel like i'd be like up you know and i'd be like oh yeah i'm finished you know like i I, you know i'm i'm good right here and then i'd get down and i'd be like i don't have the energy to like do it and then something would happen where it would just like set me off and like i just would get done i was in a meeting um yesterday with the people who gave me grant money because I was actually on the grant committee meeting um, to advise for another grant that other folks had applied to and it came out that in my meeting you know some of the folks were like you know she seems kind of (laughs) angry in my you know when they were you know looking at my application and I was like you know I was angry like I was very angry and I think you know that's part of my show is talking about you know, being a black woman being this angry black woman, what does that mean? And don't we have a right to be angry if all this shit is happening to us, right? Um, Yeah. Well also
0: (laughs) if you're reading that application and seeing the root and like what's driving you, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: no one's, no one's like going like, Hey, I'm going to make all this art about stuff that like affects me and Mm -hmm. a bunch of people like me on a daily basis. But like, be positive, you know, right. like I'm going right. to stay peppy and like, right. It's just, it, like it's not, the, and that is really, I mean, and in general, who's making art out of being in a good mood?
1: Yeah. Like you
0: know. truly, like I've never felt the compulsion to write a song or a poem or make some art because I was like, wow, life is so good. Like you get yeah. there because you're dealing with stuff and grappling yes, with stuff and you exactly. have like this compulsion to have an outlet.
1: Yeah. yeah
0: that is fascinating. Uh-huh. And, and so, and the, also the lack of self awareness and even using that language when talking about a black woman where you're yeah. like, like well, how I mean, could you not
1: know that yeah. that's a stereotype? exactly so I I think you know the community did a really good job because like they had you know they were the point of that of them telling me that is that they had that conversation about like what does that mean what are you implying blah 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 you know so I think they did a a, you know great job I mean I got the money so (laughs) (laughs) obviously obviously I was funded you know but like you know I think um yeah and and that's some of the things that I dive into in the exhibition is talking about like the danger of being a black woman and, and the anger that we feel and the trauma that we birth and you know, all of these things. But like the zine, for instance, it it was like, so my whole exhibition is is dedicated to two different audiences. And I want folks to feel that as they're going through. So in the zine, you know, you can flip, you know, one side or the other. So if you're a Black woman, you're supposed to read one way. And if everybody else is the other way. Um, and so the everybody else part is really about educating, right, whereas the, um, the flipped part with the Black women, they're supposed to contribute to the zine. So I'm more so asking them questions in that part. Um, and asking them to contribute uh, and, and basically trying to create an experience, design an experience that validates what they're going through um, or helps them to decompress the same way that I felt as I was making the pieces is kind of how I want them to feel. And at the exhibition, I mean, you know, black women coming up to me crying, happy, you know, all kinds of emotions. And that's exactly what I wanted. Um, you that's know, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, no, it was really, to have that many Black women in a space in Duluth, Minnesota, was just amazing. I have a photo of that on the website of just, like, the Black women that were there because we all, like, gathered and took this photo. And it was just, I don't know, it was just really, it was probably one of the best nights of my life just to be able to create a space like that where, you know, I mean, it's not, I mean, there's no Black spaces here really in Duluth, but, like, to be able to craft the atmosphere in that way where Black women come together and felt, I don't know, felt good. Even in tears, you know, they felt And good. seen, feel like heard. feeling yes.
0: seen that way and recognize where you also don't have to hide it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not something because then you're around people that also are feeling that too. You're not, it, yeah. And you're I not think, alone.
1: Yep. yeah,
0: that, and for listeners, um, because Dan explained this to me and maybe, my memory is poo, so forgive me if <laughs> correct me, but there was a floor that was for everybody who was not a black woman and mm-hmm. then a floor for black women
1: only. Oh, okay, so I had so everything was on the same floor. But oh, okay. I think what he's, you're talking about is the descriptions. So I had a, de- long, a very long description, like a, a board that went with each piece. And the top half of that was for black women. Like, and it was actually in black, like the background was black and like, you know, and everybody else was actually in like a cream color. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, folks were supposed to focus on, you know, the area that was, that would address them, who they were. Mm-hmm. And I even had like a little asterisk on there that said like, you know, women of color, you know, you probably experience some of these same experiences. If you do, this is for you, you deserve joy. So that was really my message about like deserving joy about mm-hmm. black women, you know, no matter what you're going through, deserve joy, deserve liberation. Um, even like one of my last pieces is just me painting purple, a purple square, um, and it's because that you know that theme liberation was in purple because purple is like the color of justice. But it's because I didn't know what does true liberation look like for Black women. You know, um, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't visualize it. I even was asking Black women as I was creating this last piece. I was like, "What do you see? Like, what do you see when you think about liberation?" And I think because we're so deep in oppression that it's really hard to visualize the stuff that we're all fighting for because we're fighting for it right but Mm -hmm. like to name what it looks like I'm just like lost right well yeah because all like even just
0: as a white woman I don't know what liberation looks like for women Mm -hmm. because I don't know what it's like to be a tall attractive white man Mm -hmm. because that's what it would take
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For just who's like smart and athletic, like then you're free of basically every sort of yeah. whatever um, with generational wealth, like with all those factors. Like I don't know, and and even I mean, really the closest I can think to imagining is when people ask you like, what would you do if you had all the money in the world and like pe- and didn't care about people's opinions. Mm -hmm. And it's like, to me, that's like trying to describe a banana to someone who's only ever had vegetables.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know how to describe that to somebody. Because if you've never even had a fruit, I for sure don't know how to describe like the only one that can't be juiced. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like a different texture than everything else. Like I just, Mm -hmm. yeah, that is really interesting. And I think it's also even in thinking about that i'm sure is like painful in a way where it's like wow like i can't
1: even picture it yeah and i think to me like being someone who like works all the time i do a lot of work toward what that future could look like but Mm -hmm. the fact that i can i can't even visualize it like that's what trauma and oppression do to our communities that we can't even see what it looks like for us to be truly free and liberated from all of it i don't know so that i think that's what i was trying to Conveying that piece, I was like, all I could do is paint. Like yeah. that's
0: it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's um, as you were saying that, I was thinking about like, yeah, because that's what trauma does. But it's not, you know, people say PTSD, but if it's not post and it's ongoing, mm-hmm. right? It's just mm-hmm. TSD. Like it's yeah. like how can you? Th- there's only how much processing can you do for just every yeah. day? Yeah. And everything. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. so this is something i talked to jordan about what you what you do especially both being black and working for an organization that is like well your work with your company blackbird and then also Mm -hmm. your work with cjmm it's all wildly intensely heavy Mm -hmm. um and of course there is right like the the positivity that comes with doing something on a daily basis to make an Mm -hmm. impact with all Mm -hmm. these organizations that are making an impact. Mm -hmm. How do you care for yourself and find space to process?
1: Mm. I mean, I feel like this, this topic of like self care is this, is this thing now. And, um, to be honest, I don't even think I have the answer for Mm -hmm. you. Like, I think, I think, you know, through my art, like, that's why I do, like, you know, even if I'm so busy, like, and I will complain to Jordan and be like, you know, I am so overwhelmed right now. Like we have three clients and then we also need to get this done and this done. But then I'll go and I'll make these pieces for the WTF show. It's like, fuck white supremacy, fuck anti-queer violence and fuck um, the patriarchy. And he's like, you know, I thought you were busy. And I'm just like, but this was my way of being able to, Heal and just like you know, shout something really loud and like have it kind of live on. I mean, I want to say forever, but you know, kind of have it live on outside of me and uh, you know, be able to communicate all the time hanging up on somebody's wall. Um, so, I think right now, I would say that's probably what I'm starting to realize is my way of self care is being able to visualize my experiences. Um, it, I mean, I think I feel like you know, for me, it's stronger to visualize it than to put it down in words, and so that's my way of kind of like being able to process and being able to heal, um, you know, and I I think, I think that's where I'm at right now. I I mean, I wish, I really do wish that I had something, um, like right now we've just gotten kind of back into Legos. So like, that's another thing that we do. That's (laughs) great. That's so
0: fun.
1: Oh yeah, no, no. It's totally fun. Did Um, you get a specific set? Um, well, Jordan got a couple of sets and I don't even know, like some of them, I think, one of them was a Black Panther set that I think I bought for him a while back. Mm-hmm. But then, like, he bought, like, some dinosaur and some other stuff here. But, like, I'm just, like, making these random things. Like, I made a couple of unicorns, <laughs> you know, just to, like, try to, like, you know, you know, completely just, like, think about something else. And
0: uh, to do something that's not so related to mm-hmm. a outcome, right? Yeah. Like, with yeah. your art, it's, like, okay, how is this being received? Yeah. Yeah. And with Legos, you can just I started doing that a while ago with watercolor painting. Oh nice. because it's not as I find oil painting terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any sort of acrylics and stuff like. I find it terrifying. My mom uh, is a painter, and really, uh, I hmm, was nurtured the idea of perfectionism
1: oh yeah
0: and so I find those like really difficult but just allowing myself to like play with watercolors and do really basic things and go like you know today I'm just gonna make watercolor paintings that no one will ever see and it's just gonna be weird shapes or I'm gonna make a bunch of fast food ones like I spent a day making like hamburgers and hot dogs and french fries Mm -hmm. and another day doing aquarium animals and doing something that you're not so connected with a result Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I would definitely encourage you to try the robotics Legos kits nice those are very fun and then you feel very accomplished because you feel like you also could build a robot
1: yeah yeah (laughs) which is exciting that is Um, exciting though seriously
0: that's super that's a good outlet and then uh do you go to therapy or do meditation
1: so I did not um I was on this real huge kick to find a therapist this last um This fall that just passed, and like I'm still on a huge kick to find a therapist. But in Duluth, um, I really want to see a black therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are no black therapists here, um, in Duluth, and so that has been like a huge thing. Um, you know, my mom, who is a psychologist herself and the psychologist for a campus down in Texas, she's like, Well, they have these like you know phone things now, and so. But I really need to just talk to somebody. I really need to see somebody face to face and kind of like see that human to human interaction. Um, And so I'm really hoping that, um, you know, that I can move into that or find someone, you know, to be able to talk to. But that is like a really huge thing that I'm like, I know that I want and I've been like craving to have a therapist. Um, And if there were black therapists here, that I don't know because I, there are, uh, there are like two black therapists, but they're my friends. So <laughs> that, you know, doesn't necessarily help me here. Um, but yeah, I, that is one thing that I really want. I don't do meditation. Um, yeah. So I feel like if I was to like zone out in my mind, it'd be like, at the end of the day, when I'm watching like really stupid Instagram videos, Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is the kind of way that I like debrief or just like laugh, you know, like this is really stupid and I'm going to keep scrolling. So that is sometimes how I know I've had a really rough day.
0: It's been something so minute and foolish makes me Mm -hmm. like burst into laughter. Mm -hmm. And it has been moments of reflection. It makes me reflect on like, Oh wow. I really haven't smiled today. Mm -hmm. like it's been that kind of day that I've had no outlet that my body just like needs to get some happiness in or out or something and I'm like yeah I should work on that probably yeah should have found a reason to smile today
1: yeah sometimes it's hard (laughs) no yeah and I think that's why I moved to these like really senseless stupid videos um because I'll send it's funny too like I sent them to Jordan and Jordan is like this is dumb. I don't get it. You know, right? And you're <laughs> like, well, yesterday was better than mine, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, he just has a certain type of humor, you know. Mm-hmm. Versus me, I'm really like, you know, like you know, somebody can go up and like push somebody, like you know, I don't know. And it's just like the you know scenario. Like that's my type of humor, where he's like you know very dry, calculated, you know, uh, John Oliver. Like that's him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. this type of humor. Um, Some
0: would say more intelligent. Others might say stuck up. Hard. That's true.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely true. He is <laughs> depending more, on who you ask. Yeah, a more pretentious humor than me. <laughs> but I mean, I enjoy John Oliver, just like you know, just like him. But like, yeah, sometimes I just need like really silly, stupid. Yeah, videos. for like a child giggle. Like sometimes yes. you
0: just need that like childish belly laugh. That's not like that's you know it's the kind of joy you see when you see someone fall and like Mm -hmm. not really get hurt,
1: Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm.
0: I, yeah. Which I'll still, I mean, I'll definitely help usually, but it's still funny. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Also the
0: first to laugh when I fall. So I'm not a hypocrite in that department. Like
1: that's good. I'm glad to know that you're, you know, equity. Is, oh is yeah, I find it. myself
0: falling much funnier than other people falling. Also, because I know I'm okay when yeah. I see someone else fall, I'm like, "Oh no, hopefully they didn't get injured."
1: Yeah.
0: And then once I realize it didn't, that I'm like, "Oh, it's hysterical." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. a yeah, it's a good leveling sort of thing that we all do. Um, okay, so then you have your work with Blackbird, you have your personal work, um, and then you also are a Are you considered a professor or an instructor at uh, University of Duluth?
1: Yep. So I'm an assistant professor. Okay. Um, So it's like kind of like you have, there's so many like classes, layers to (laughs) professors. You have like the, you have the, I can't forget what they call it. I was going to say adjunct, but they call it something different here. Um, Oh, yeah, my dad is that. They call it a term faculty here, but it's an adjunct. It's essentially you're on contract for, a year or two years or three years and then you you know find out if you get your contract which is like to me a very horrible way to live <laughs> like to be yeah. like oh do I have a job next year like that sucks so like you have adjunct faculty and then you have an assistant professor who is um tenured track that's me and then um once you reach tenure and associate and then then you go up for full professor and full professor is just professor mm-hmm. so yeah I had to learn it took me a while to learn what all these meant because I was like uh I just called myself a professor and they're like but you're not
0: oh yeah okay (laughs) people will knock you down very quickly and and I my friend Genevieve was on and she's a an instructor at FIT and when I said professor she was like no no no, they'll have a fit
1: (laughs) oh yeah they really will they really like absolutely will you are just like yo is it that serious right and also um, you're like hey you hired me mm mm-hmm
0: like, are you ashamed? Then get over it. Like, why are you, what's the objection? These other professors are angry that I'm calling myself and they can get over themselves. It'll yeah. be fine.
1: Well, I kind of have this thing at UMD cause I have my terminal degree, which isn't a PhD in design. You get a, you get an MFA, which is a master of fine arts. Mm-hmm. And so all of my students, not all of my students. The students of color that I work very closely with, like with other organizing efforts, they all call me doctor. So they all call me Doctor Moses. I love and that. Of, yeah, and so like then all these faculty are just like, Oh, you got a PhD now? Like da 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 and I'm just like, you know, it the shoe fits. Like so you're like it could be honorary you don't know I've done enough I know no now people are like it should just be honorary for you um it should just be honorary for you Terry. it should be Mm -hmm. let's move to
0: make that happen Mm -hmm. so uh and then what classes do you teach
1: oh so I teach graphic design courses I teach um so we have like anywhere from we have five graphic design courses so like literally called graphic design one graphic design two blah 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 up to five and then we have senior studio one which is in their senior year they're getting ready to graduate and then senior studio two um I teach mainly I teach the GD courses so like GD one I mean I really have taught I think almost all of them except GD five and then I've taught senior studio one and two Mm -hmm. So, um, that's kind of where I taught, I do teach some typography courses as well, but really what my job is, is to like be able to frame in the mind of the student, like how do I become a graphic designer and not just like the technical, like, oh, here's how you use illustrator. Here's how you use Adobe or whatever Photoshop. Um, it's really about like, what are the decisions that I make to critically think about communicating certain messages? And then how do I, how do I visualize those, visualize those in a successful way? Um, so that's kind of where, where I am um, in those classes. And then, of course, all of my, all of my projects are based on like, social justice and social consciousness and how do I use my powers as a designer to communicate stuff for uh, maybe perhaps communities that can't communicate you know, for themselves um, or need some assistance in you know, leveraging their voice in um, politics or whatever. So like, I do a lot of socially conscious projects. Like usually when folks sign up for me, they know what they're getting into um with the set that I assigned. So mm-hmm.
0: that's awesome. That was actually you answered my next question, which was about sort of the interaction between your work outside of teaching and teaching mm-hmm. and like um how those play together. And so what has your what have you learned in teaching at your time there?
1: <sighs> what I've learned is that the way that I was taught was wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I've learned that there needs to be a serious reform of the educational system. I think um, there needs to be a foundation of relationship with students and the people that are teaching them in the classroom. Um, one, because it teaches, I mean, right now at this point, I don't like the the word respect, but I mean, I, I've, so I've replaced it with the word honor. So if you hear me use that, that's what I mean. But like what what that relationship does is teaches both me and the student to honor one another, you know, in the process, and then also be a lot more frank if they're not getting something in the classroom that they really want. Um, so I have these things set up called like one-on-ones, you know, where students are able to um, talk about, we talk about their grade, you know, I grade with them in, their, in the room. Like I say, say we, let's talk about why you're getting this grade. They also give me a grade for what they think that, they, um, that their project deserves. And then we talk about that, right? Um, and then I have like kind of like mid-semester evaluations where we talk about, are you getting everything from the class that you wanted? Is there some, some things that would make your the uh, learning environment um, better for you, right, as a student? So I think um, for me, what I've learned is to relationship first. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that pretentious institutions and universities don't do. It's like, I'm an expert. You come, you sit down, you face me, I talk to you. And I give you the information that you need. And then you go out the classroom where um, we as instructors, professors, whatever, we need to be learning too, continuously. And we can do that by learning about the experiences of our students. Um, And then not only that, it helps them to learn better as well. Like I feel like especially students of color, I just remember thinking, you know, man, I don't think that my teacher likes me. And you hear that from a lot of students of color who mm. are saying like, oh, I can't learn from this person. Right. And so then they start to act up in class or blah, blah, blah. But um, it's really about relationship. We have to learn about people first before we can deliver any heavy things across. And, and for me, it's really about, okay, if I'm going to talk about racism in my classroom, because we're going to talk about it. Um, how, if I don't have relationship with them, there's no way that I can say, "Hey, that what you said," or uh, maybe the angle that you're coming at right that coming at that topic. I can't say that's problematic and not have them leave the class and come back with a you know sour face the whole rest of the semester. I have to build a relationship with them in order to move across heavy information. The bridge has to be there, and if it's not there, if I don't have that foundation of relationship, my work that I do in my classroom wouldn't be possible. Like I can't talk about how, hey, what you said was sexist. I can't talk about that if I don't have a relationship with the student. Um, So I'd say that is probably the biggest thing that I've learned is that it's not about being the expert in the room. It's not about coming in there and knowing everything or even having your lesson plan all the way planned out. And I'm a planner, like, let me tell you. (laughs) But like, I've really noticed that like, Hey, flexibility is this really super, like, it's a huge thing in this, in the classroom, especially if we're going to talk about ethics, the whole class. And, you know, we don't even get to like the, the visual element yet, we'll move it to the next class. It's not that serious. And I feel like I was taught um, in my undergraduate experience that it was that serious, that like, doesn't matter what you're talking about right now, like that, we're not gonna drag on that conversation, we're gonna do this project and then y'all are gonna leave the classroom. So I think a lot more flexibility has folks, I don't know, I think it humanizes the experience between faculty and students.
0: As you were saying that, the, the key word that came to mind was humanity. Mm-hmm. Of just because, and, you know, I, I feel for students of color in that situation because I know when you go to a school that is like, if you're raised in, in like a public school setting, you were taught that like that is a structure.
1: Mm-hmm. You're not
0: encouraged to facilitate a relationship with a teacher. You're told to like fit into this system
1: mm-hmm. and
0: like do not question like, do not, and it's and then it's also like a very weird um like pseudo egalitarian setup where it's also you're looking for like, where's my reward? like it's a it's a very different thing, and I've yeah. noticed the huge difference between people that I've worked with who grew up in like more affluent areas or were given like either a Montessori or a Waldorf education or something that taught them to like be free thinkers Mm
1: -hmm.
0: versus I grew up in like a very uh, just sort of like, just show up sort of like, like my elementary school is very much like just show up and like do the homework and behave and fall into line. Yeah, And every education setting I'd had after that was very much like that. And so then to go to work and realize in a working environment that like, when you don't know something you should say something
1: mm-hmm.
0: because you're not helping your organization or your team if you just like nod your head and go and then hope that you're doing the right thing right um but school didn't ever teach me to do that school taught oh. me to just like hopefully not speak up so you didn't get reprimanded because mm-hmm. someone thinks they already communicated it um and it really i mean higher education just perpetuates a lot of the classism that we see
1: Mm-hmm. In
0: elementary, you know, K through 12 education, unfortunately, and I think that it's mm-hmm. it's also wild to me that uh, that like we've accepted it for so long because yeah. like I went to Cal State Fullerton, it was fine, whatever. I, I'm very like tepid about the experience. I had like a few really outstanding professors, but it is the only I would say like non-healthcare specific thing that I've ever paid for that like did not give a shit about my like customer experience. And I put that in air quotes for listeners where mm-hmm. like when push came to shove and I went to go graduate and my grad counselor had been incorrect about my credits, that didn't matter. And then when I, wow. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was wow. like, well, you guys said I was fine. So, mm-hmm. uh, so no, I'm not sticking around for another semester just cause you didn't do your job.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then when I did take, they said I needed like an upper division GE class. I ran it past the school counselor. They said it like, it was fine. So I signed up, took the class and then found out it was in the wrong category of classes. And then there was just no accountability there. There was no like, Oh, we'll refund your money. Like it just didn't matter. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, you should have whatever. And it's, it's wild because school is so cost prohibitive, prohibitive as is
1: Mm -hmm.
0: that like we're, teaching students to go into a situation be made to feel like idiots basically be disrespected be thankful they're like getting an education at all and then also foot the bill for it like it's Mm -hmm. it's so expensive
1: yeah it's really messed up (sighs) yeah like what I I try to do is just make sure like I go in there one I hate grades Mm -hmm. because you know students just assign their whole life to that grade and I'm yeah. just like, this really means nothing in the industry. No one cares about your grade. Um, in the world, no one cares about your grade. No one's gonna. You're not gonna come out there wearing your GPA on your t-shirt, and people are gonna be like, "Oh, that's a better person than that person." No, no one cares, you know. Yeah. And so that's why I do these grade forms. Where really, I wish all my classes could be pass fail. To be honest, like you, you get it, or or you don't really, you know, you weren't really there. You don't, you know, don't really want want it, you know. Um, yeah. But it's like super important, right? That like these students understand that they're able to contribute to the classroom. Cause I don't want that. I don't know, I do not want to like, I always tell my students before we have a discussion, like maybe we watch a Ted talk and we're going to have a discussion afterwards. I said, y'all better get your notepads out and write down some stuff. Cause I don't want to say, what do y'all think? And you know, you had that silence, right? Because all the students are like, I don't want to feel stupid. I don't want her to think blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, I really hate that. I literally went into teaching, teaching college level so that I could have a more critical discussion with students. Um, So I was like, we better have some discussion today.
0: (laughs) That's great. And I think it's, it's also a good model. I didn't know what critical conversations and critical thinking sort of like responses looked like until I went to college and had professors that encouraged it Mm -hmm. because it's not how I was raised. I was raised like we told you what to do. So just do it. Mm -hmm. Like there was very little, like I really, it took me until I was like, This is so embarrassing to admit. It took me probably, I remember the moment I felt like my frontal lobe had finished forming (laughs) was I was like, oh, idiot. You're in your late 20s. You're literally still rebelling against a bedtime. Guess why you have a bedtime? So that you're well-rested and don't oversleep tomorrow. But this whole time I framed a bedtime as this like thing to rebel against. Yeah. And then, like, my life was suffering because I was tired every day. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, if you just go to bed earlier, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you will wake up earlier naturally. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't need to still be a four-year-old having a temper tantrum every night
1: Mm -hmm. about
0: having a bedtime. And, like, like maybe the reason your parents didn't want you to have sugar is because you turn into a monster when you have sugar. So, like, maybe that's something good to keep in mind. And, like, I I had a boyfriend once who... He was like, I can't remember what I was doing. I was about to put in laundry, like right when I should have been leaving the house. And he was like, don't put in the laundry. And I, I have like a strong resistance to being told what to do, <laughs> like to a point of like probably not healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was livid and I was like, well, if I don't do the laundry, how's it going to get done? Right. Which yeah, like yeah. he contributed around the house. It's not like he didn't do the laundry. It was just me being a jerk. And then he said something that really changed my life where he was like, Lene, do you really think that like I'm sitting here telling you what to do because I want to boss you around? He was like, or did it ever occur to you that as someone, because he's eight years older than I am, he was like, as someone who's like eight years older than you are and who cares about you and loves you, that like I can see from the outside looking in how you're making your life more difficult and I'm trying to help. And I was like, Yeah, that genuinely never occurred to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm I really just thought, because I was raised that, like, if someone's telling you what to do, they're bossing you around because that's what it felt like. There was no rhyme or reason to, like, hey, we're actually telling you to do this. And maybe my parents did say that, and I just, you know, was a child and turned off my, like, angry child. There was no – they just had, like, angry child logic. Right. But it really took college – for me to go like, because I really, and I, even until maybe this last year, I had a really, really difficult time listening to a lecture and then having questions right away. Like it would take me three days of processing mm-hmm. to go like, Oh, and so once I saw people asking intelligent and engaging questions and not just like, Oh, when's the homework due? And right. like, Oh, what did you, what year did you say that happened? in? I was like, Oh, that's how you connect themes, right? Because the students were only taught, like, we're only taught, like, yeah, memorizing, and like, here's the facts, and you're not like, oh, like, that's why. I mean, that's why a bunch of white people moved to the suburbs. You're just yeah. like, oh, and then all of a sudden these
1: suburbs popped up. That's wild. Don't know how yeah. that happened. Yeah, like I even remember. I can even like think back to middle school when I was learning about like civil rights and stuff. Mm-hmm. like the KKK. And like, I don't even think I remember connecting those dots being like, Oh, racism. Like I don't, you know, and, and I, <clears throat> I mean, I'm pretty sure my teacher didn't, didn't explicitly say those things. Right. Which is, again, you know, didn't, didn't help in the educational process, but I do not remember at all being like, let's have a critical conversation about why these things exist. I mean, that yeah. just did not happen. Right.
0: Know? Yeah. Paradox.
1: Yeah. Uh, similarly,
0: I think I wasn't, it was, it wasn't until I was in, high school maybe that it was pointed out that like HBCUs exist because black kids couldn't go to white schools Mm -hmm. it was just like oh yeah and then there's black colleges
1: and women's colleges and you're like okay yeah 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 absolutely like that is that is this real because yeah you don't you aren't taught that and then yeah like you know I think in, in college too I feel like I was like I don't know, I was cringing, I think, almost at the fact of like, you know, oh, add to the conversation. I, don't, I mean, I don't think I ever wanted to speak up in classes at all.
0: Yeah, same. I And I couldn't – it it was really – I mean, similarly, it's, it's not a different sort of thing than the idea of thinking what liberation looks like because you're like, mm-hmm. how can I do this thing? It's like a, a muscle – it's not just atrophied. It's literally never been had. Like right. it's – it's a muscle that you don't have period and that you literally have to like grow from like the start yep. because you've never, you didn't even know that was a possibility. And right. it makes, it makes it really challenging then. And it makes it, it makes it frustrating because you can't, you know, people say like, uh, women aren't heard and especially like black voices aren't heard. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but first, uh, you need to be able to have a voice
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that in and in and of itself is really difficult.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I think social media helps a lot because we have more frameworks for how to phrase things. Like we mm-hmm. see more examples of, um, and like metaphors even have helped a lot. Like there's something like right now with like uh, COVID-19 going like with all of the hype around that, mm-hmm. there was a really good, thing that I like shared to Instagram stories or whatever that was like, Hey, for everyone freaking out and like buying all the stuff and whatever and holding up at home, maybe now you can have a little empathy for refugees. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I think it takes people going like, Oh, the humanity in me that's panicking is the same as the humanity in them that's panicking. Mm -hmm. We're not that different, Mm -hmm. but it takes that framework. And I think social media has been very helpful in that for helping people reframe the way they think about stuff based on other people's lived experiences and realities. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that we have gone on this tangent, I have more questions about your work, (laughs) Terry. (laughs) (laughs) So what you did for the March for uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day was incredible. The work that like, and so when you take on a project like that, Um, can you, because I think this would be very helpful for anyone who like does what you do or is aspiring to do what you do. Can you walk listeners and myself through like sort of the intake to execution, um, I guess like journey, because that is, you know, I think it's different for every person who holds a, um, like creative director type or adjacent position. Mm Um, and then also when you're balancing so many different projects, making sure that each of those are different can be, that's like extra work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I think that the March is a good example because there's also a um, like definitive day. It's not necessarily like an ongoing project like client work might be. Right. Um, and if I'm wrong in that, definitely we can use a better example. Um, but if that example works for you, I would love to hear sort of the, the journey.
1: Sure, so well, I can't take credit for the march, um, but I will take credit for the rally. Okay, <laughs> um, oh, that's march- right, sorry, yeah. yes. <clears throat> no, no, no. I just want to like because this year was really, really awesome because the girls group, um, you know, through Menace Peacemakers, planned the march. So I just oh, like, cool, like, like young black, um, and brown girls, um, were able to plan that, which was really awesome. And what are they so called? The, um, they're the girls' restorative program at Menace Peacemakers, okay? Mm-hmm. So, um The rally, let's see, this is my third year, Mm, third year planning the rally. I I got here in 2016, so I planned 2017, 18, 19. Oh, and 20, so I guess this is my fourth year. Oh wow. The first year um, was really where I learned, right? Um, What were folks already doing and what wasn't working? And Mm -hmm. um, I am, so this is my thing. I don't know if people who <clears throat> necessarily are aspiring to be like me are thinkers like me too. Um, so I would honestly say like for me, it was about setting up the committee that I wanted to be able to play the roles that we need to roll. And, and that in my mind, like I'm one of those, I'm like a um, big picture, but also I do some nitty gritty stuff. But like, I really am like, okay, uh, I'm a connector. So like, I'm like, I know, you know, that this role needs to happen and this role needs to happen. and This is going to make it successful. So I need people to lead in these parts. Right and um so i think for me when i ran it the first time and it was with a committee it was a very large committee which i think is problematic <laughs> when you're doing an event because it's like way too many voices way too many people like just make the decision you know
0: mm-hmm. um
1: so that's one thing so i knew okay i want a committee that's a little bit smaller a little more focused um you know a, a little like but i know the type of energy that i want to work with so for me because i'm kind of thrown into these leadership positions and um i mean i i know i know that like i bring that to the table which is why i'm a kind of a good delegator you know so if i know what i need to like kind of make this thing happen that's like my first step um i've had the same committee for the last three years um and i mean it's so efficient now like it's like we know exactly what needs to happen so like it was a lot it's a lot of um logistics happening at the rally you know there's like T- table vendoring, there's stage management, there's like taking care of this the speakers, having you know the two speakers you know that's coming up next be backstage, like you know all of those types of things, getting the, the award ceremony, blah blah blah. Um, so all that stuff is a lot, but I think we have it down to a science now. But I will say, like having the right committee and the people that in the people that you want to work with is really integral uh, for me. Like I just I can't. It's it's hard to work on. Um, this work that's free right um with people who are just going to be super difficult or like this is how we've always done it so this is how we have to do it and you know not be open to new ideas so I will say having the right people there is really helpful mm-hmm. um, you don't always get that like that's absolutely true you do not always get the people that you want to work with so you gotta have you gotta find ways to kind of work around um and also maybe delegate certain duties to certain folks so I think um for me, we kind of start with, let's say, we probably start in like August, um, you know, we start with money, like we need, we, need, we need sponsorship first. So, you know, we create, what does our sponsorship packets look like? What do our sponsors get? Blah, 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 we seek out sponsorship. Then we move on to planning, right? Who do we want to speak? That's probably one of the biggest things is that we have to book somebody So you want to book them far enough in advance where they'd be available. Mm-hmm. So that's the questions that we start asking um and then we move on to like the nitty-gritty stuff who's going to be performing we want folks from our own community so we got to seek out folks see who's available blah blah blah. we also got to document you know that's one thing that um, isn't done a lot in this work is that hiring a professional photographer um people oftentimes don't think that's important um even hiring a designer so like my design rates that I give um the NAACP they're not my rates that I give you know regular folks (laughs) um but but you're you 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 need to pay for the stuff that I bring to the table you know Um, I'm already organizing and doing all that back-end stuff um, for free, and then my design work, which is like my professional craft and my art, um, you should definitely value that enough to pay for it. So I think um, what I've been trying to do right now is really switch the narrative for a lot of these nonprofit and social justice-based organizations to say, hey, artists, photographers, creative people need to be paid, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one of the narratives that I've been shifting Along with, like, if we want a good speaker, we're going to need to pay a little bit more, right? Or, or partner with schools in the area to, like, have them also come talk to the school the next day. And maybe that's how we get to their stipend costs. But, like, that's another thing. I think people have been, like, they're so, they're, they, equate, they equate social justice with volunteerism. And it's, like, that's not equity, though. You know, um, people of color are often carrying the weight of doing all the organizing, doing all the anti-racist work and never getting any benefit from that. We're all supposed to do that on top of working our two to three jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's and getting equity.
0: paid less at those jobs.
1: Absolutely, right. And, and that's not equity at all. And so like, um, it's been really hard to try and shift that narrative with um, folks who have been in the community a bit longer than I have. Um, but I mean, we're doing it slowly and surely. But yeah, it's so that's also- how it's a process.
0: It's also one of those things too, where I'm like, yeah, but if it was a technical skill, like if you need someone to build a website, thank you, you would pay them. Like you wouldn't you. hire, like that's the sort of thing where I'm like, okay, well, what you're actually doing is devaluing someone's craft and the mm-hmm. way that I've argued, cause I've, I've worked on both ends, um, where I've like worked with artists and creators that I'm like, no, you need to charge. I don't care. And my argument to them is always like, look, nonprofits, a, and Jordan and I talked about this in our episode, like are still a business. Mm-hmm. There is, and it's obviously very different if it's like a nonprofit starting out or a small coalition or whatever, like mm-hmm. there are different cases, but for most nonprofits, they do have sponsors. They do have funding. They're usually founded by somebody with money. Yeah. Also, they will not fight like their budgets shift depending on how much they spend. And that is something that took me a long time to understand is like when you don't charge for something and a budget doesn't get used, they get less money next year or they allocate mm-hmm. less money to graphic design and documenting their events next year because they're like, oh, actually, we got it for free last year and it perpetuates yep. this thing.
1: Yep.
0: And it's really
1: I, I think it, I've think disheartening. I've had to tell creators though, like, accept the check. Accept yeah. the check. It's not for you, it's for the person who's going to come after you who actually needs the money. So yeah. if you want to give it back to the organization, do that, but accept the check. Like, yes. that's, that's, I need people to understand that. Like, you need to accept a check for not you, for the people who are coming after you. After you're done doing photography in this community, you know, they need to have a line item for photography, and we need to be able to make sure that's secured for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's super important. Definitely. So, so you worked through that.
0: I'm, I'm making a list by the way, um, oh, yes, yes. so that I don't list track. Yeah. So you got your, like your team in place
1: Yeah.
0: and then for the creative, um, I love that you brought up doing the sponsorship packets because that's a pretty heavy lift that I think people, people discuss, Oh, we need sponsorship.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: a lot of times with that is not the nod to like, the impact that branding has on a sponsorship packet Absolutely. and that really thoughtful, cohesive um, graphics and, and treatments have when you are doing something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how did you tie that thread? Because then obviously, um, well, you're like pretty young. So social media has always, I assume, been a part of like most of your client projects, um, at mm-hmm. least to like, how does this impact it? It's not like I mean, there's some people like creatives I've worked with who are like in their 40s or 50s that they're like, oh, we never had to think about digital before mm-hmm. or like it was just mm-hmm. a website. So presumably you're doing sponsorship packets, but then also thinking about the kind of content you're creating for digital platforms. Is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And so you're doing that, but then there's also all of the branding surrounding the promotion of the event. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you work with the t- teams to decide where to spend your effort, or are you mostly making those decisions in this particular situation?
1: So um, I wish I was making all, all those decisions, um, but I think it's super, okay if you're going to work on a community or a committee of community individuals. You know, everybody wants to have their opinion and their voice heard. So we start from the very beginning, like. Um, we go and we read, uh, Testament of Hope, you know, MLK speeches. And we say, here's three or four relevant speeches that we think would be really, really great. Um, and so we're like, which ones do y'all, which ones resonate the most with you? Um, well, we really like this one or we put it to a vote and we really like this one. Okay. So then we take that theme or whatever. And then we do three or four different ideas mm-hmm. visually, you know, we just, and they're just sketches, you know, um, and we say, okay, you know, here's what the poster could look like. Here's what three little pieces of social media could look like. Um, here's what, you know, something else could look like. And so we show that to them and then they're like, okay, well we pick option three. And so then we move on with option three and we, um, and we kind of like, just because of the rate that we're giving them. And then also the amount of time it's kind of like, okay, that's your option. We're going to design it from there. And then what we say after that is just kind of what it's going to be. so that's kind of how we work around, like trying to make sure that everybody gets to have a say in, in what, uh, what the branding looks like. But I will say kind of after they've chosen like, oh, this option in the sketches, like we move forward with that, you know, we can change a couple colors here or there, but that usually isn't the thing. People usually are just like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. This is amazing. Let's just move forward. So I will say that process is pretty easy. I will say we've had some, not arguments, but like some heated discussion around some of the themes. Like, um maybe two years ago, we did uh, Birth of a New Nation. And all of these are all MLK speeches, which I think is funny that people are like, oh my gosh, that's too radical. And it's like, but MLK is like the person that everybody's just, you know, um, in love with as far as civil rights, right? But we name speeches and we try to go into speeches that aren't, you know, I have a dream, ones that people maybe may not be familiar with. Um, But, you know, I think people, you know, sometimes we get into like little spats around like, you know, oh, that's too radical for this community. So Birth of a New Nation, that theme, people were like, oh, this is scary, you know, for us to say this right, I think it was right, I think that was the Trump after Trump. And people yeah. were like, oh, my gosh, like, if we say that, what are we saying and blah, blah, blah. And it turned out to be super awesome. It was like one of the most attended rallies that we had. We had to open up the balcony, you know, in the symphony hall. And so, um, you know, I think, I think people are kind of unfamiliar with MLK's work. And I think... Um, Especially towards the end of his life. Absolutely. And I mean, and, and, you know, when you and when I think about it, I, you know, I've had conversations with other people, but like, you know, that's sort of what ended his life is that he was becoming a lot more radical. And that stuff folks are not hearing about. And so like that's what we try to do in these in these, uh, you know, within the MLK rallies and stuff. So, you know, after that was, uh, you know, the crisis, uh, you know, we're talking about the race crisis, um, and that people thought that was a little too radical. like oh, it looks like a white person is pulling down a black person. And you know, I I mean and like the thing is we're not really shy about that if we talk about somebody like you know in this podcast like Absolutely, we were saying that we were saying that so white supremacy is pulling down people of color And we were absolutely saying that it is hurting both of us because we were both in in the crisis, right? Yeah, and so but people were we're like, oh, no, is that imagery too? And you're like, what did you think racism was? Yeah, you know, like absolutely. Like, I think, I think it's interesting to be like in the business of visualizing what racism looks like. it's like, that's literally what we do. Is that
0: is? Ooh, I'm, i might use that as you're like in the business of. Oh my god, thank you yeah. for that.
1: Yeah, like that's that's literally what we do, and I think people are always just like, oh my gosh, it's too strong, but then it ends up being really great, you know. Um, and that's why I love the power of art because art can speak to so many different levels that like just words can't, you know, no, no, like this to anybody who uses words, <laughs> but like, right. I, I love the ab- ability to use art and people have like these interpretations and like really start to see what we're talking about.
0: It makes it more tangible. Like it makes it, it makes you go, especially with that particular image,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like, oh, this is the opposite of a rising tide lifts all boats. Like everyone is being hurt by this situation. Mm-hmm. There was, um, did you listen to the Finding Fred podcast series, Finding chance?
1: I have
0: that It is beautiful. It's delightful. It's um, Carbell Wallace and having, he's having conversations with like a variety of people about the impact of Mr. Rogers oh. and it's lovely. And he has, I'm a big W. Kamau Bell fan. Like I think mm-hmm. he's terrific. And I loved, I don't know if you've seen his show United Shades of America, mm-hmm. um, but in the very, basically I might butcher it a little bit, but like thematically it's, it's about a black man going into spaces that are very uncomfortable to be a black man in. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: in episode one, he goes and meets with members of the KKK, which was like, like even though obviously because there's a season and he's alive and everything mentally, like logically I knew he was okay Mm -hmm. watching it the whole time. I was like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Like is, but the way that he talked, because, uh, what Carvel Wallace asked him was like, how do you wrap that idea around like the idea of Mr. Rogers with like, I love you just the way you are. Right. How do you talk to somebody who is like just blatantly hateful toward people of color mm-hmm. and probably a whole lot of other things um, and bring that perspective. And W. Kamal Bell said something that I hadn't, I don't know. It was, it was interesting the way he said it, where he was like, you know, once I went there and saw their lives and the like their life experience, Mm -hmm. I realized what happened was like, they're not living the American dream by any means. And they were sold this, um, they were sold this very, uh, you know, digestible idea that it was black people's fault. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you're not educated and you're miserable and looking for answers and you're angry about your life, that's an easy sort of thing to do is to point the finger at a group of people instead of looking at like the overarching mm-hmm. reality of the world we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like a really interesting thing because I had never quite visualized it that way. And I think we, schools also do students a huge disservice when they talk about racism as like these other people, Mm -hmm. like as if it's not there in the classroom and that it's not some people's parents. And that, Oh
1: my God. Yes. (laughs) And that
0: it's (laughs) like, that it's like, Oh, these people far away in Alabama, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
0: or what it like, I I mean, I grew up in California, so I have no idea how it's taught in the South, you know, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's taught as if there's no tie to anybody in that room's family Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: that and that there are good people and there are bad people and Mm -hmm. like those are bad people versus going like the reality which is like most people don't wake up every day being like how could i be hateful and like you know horrible today Mm -hmm. most people want to do the right things, whether that's for themselves or for their family or whoever. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And a lot of times that is in a scarcity mindset and based on like their fear about things they don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when you can go like, oh, the complexity of like, yeah, this person has grown up to be what we would definitely all agree is like a bad person. Mm -hmm. Where did that change? Right? Because at three years old, that's not who they were. (laughs) They didn't come out of the womb hateful. Like, like at some point society taught them that Mm
1: -hmm. it's
0: not the individual that is like, it's easy to point fingers at individuals and go like, Oh, that's a racist person. Mm -hmm. It's harder to go like, Oh, this is a systemic issue. And like, how can we in this classroom look at what causes this? And then also fight it and not just go like, Oh, that's terrible that those people over there are like that. I would never,
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, Maya, one of my friends, and uh, she's a philosophy pro- professor here at UMD, um, she starts off her, like, race class saying, you know, because she teaches all white students, right? And so she's like, you know, I believe that all white people are racist. And, you know, and I like, I totally agree with her. Is she white? Um, no, no, no. Oh, okay. She's black. She's a black <laughs> woman. But, like, you know, I think I, th- I say that because I want folks to understand that, like, you know, you can be racist and still be, like, a good person, mm-hmm. you know? Because, like, even the people – you know, Jordan and I have conversations about this. Even the people who were burning crosses in in people's yards, you know, they went home and I'm pretty sure they, like, loved their, like, wives and their kids. Yes, yeah, totally. You know, so, like, like, I think people are just, like, have this idea about, like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's, like – it's, like, race – like, calling somebody a racist is, like, calling someone – calling a black person like the N-word. You know, like I feel like that's how they they take it and it's just like, yo, if you just came to the realization that, you know, I'm white and I'm racist, and like how do I then become an anti-racist? Mm-hmm. And like if all white people in the nation spent one hour a week doing something anti-racist like you know, and that's but that's not happening, you know. Like I feel like you know we want liberation, but like we need things like that, and like people don't value uh, other people enough to be like, hey, let me you know set aside time to like my anti-racist thing is like learning about my privilege, you know? Mm-hmm. How do I show up in spaces and blah, blah? And if people, you know, people aren't doing that, so I feel like yeah, you know, <laughs> you can be racist and still be like this like quote unquote good person. Racism is a, is a systemic, you know. I'm trying to think of the word like, uh, like it's It's like part of, it's part of the culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. like,
0: it's a systemic part of the culture and it's, I mean, even with, um, like sexism, I have Mm -hmm. really examined over the years, the ways that like media, especially like music and entertainment and everything have influenced the way I think about women, which Mm -hmm. as a woman is also a really interesting thing to examine because we talk about, you know, women notoriously talk a lot of trash on other women Mm -hmm. and are very judgmental toward other women. And so in and of that, in that even as a woman and you hear women say things like, Oh, I'm not like other girls.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: What does that mean? And so how could I not also look at that and go like, Oh, I'm not a person of color. What judgments am I making about people of color
1: mm-hmm.
0: as a whole that, that we influenced by the systems that we live within mm-hmm. and what we're taught and then examining, like, not only why is, why is that? And like, how is that wrong?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And how can I personally do better, but then also hold other people accountable for their ideas. And like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: in a way, like you were saying with your classroom where it's like, to me, I am not somebody who's going to like flat out, like just call somebody a racist or do whatever because I know Mm -hmm. it's not productive. It's not because I'm not thinking it. It's not because I, you know, don't feel that way. It's also like, okay, well how can we like grease the wheels here to actually make an impact? Mm -hmm. Because if the goal is to really, for me to fight racism and to fight sexism and classism, me calling somebody like name calling Mm-hmm. That's never changed. Like no one's ever had their mind changed because Absolutely. they were called that. Like that's what our defense mechanisms go up. And mm-hmm. so how can you then like have a productive conversation and like drop some breadcrumbs
1: mm-hmm.
0: and like build up to that of like, oh, hey, like did it yeah. ever occur to you that like uh, that's, you know, you're examining a surface thing and not the root reasons as to why. Like, mm-hmm. It's not like black people didn't want to own homes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, and the thing that you're talking about there, like dropping these breadcrumbs, that's what white people should be doing for other white people. You know, Mm -hmm. oftentimes that work that you're talking about, people of color are left to do that. And it's like, yo, we didn't create this racist system. And so why are there more white folks, you know, trying to solve that by like, hey, let me step in and say like, Let's let's talk about this. Let's have a conversation. And I, and and because of the work that I do, like having Umbra specifically, I had like some problematic white women, you know, say like, oh, surely. why surely. I related more with the black woman in statement. And that's why I read that one. And it was like, hold up. And so like, I, you know, I had white allies and accomplices who were like, Hey, like, do you mind if I go and talk to her? I was like, you, that's what you need to be doing. Cause I don't have the time or the patience to like address why that was so problem. I mean, I did address it, but it was like, somebody needs to go into detail with this woman and like have that conversation. And so like, that is what white folks should be doing is like, okay, how do we, Correct what's happening, you know, in right. in, in our own circles and our own families, um, <laughs> so that all that weight and that culture taxation isn't on people of color to fix that.
0: Definitely, yeah. That is, I'd wondered. I almost asked you about like sort of the the non-black woman community reaction to mm-hmm. your show because mm-hmm. I I could only imagine. Just, mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and I
1: mean, I think, listen, I think that people try, they want to relate with the oppression. Like, and I, I told you, know, and I get that. And it's just like, but I want you to, but this show is particularly about the intersections of not just sexism, but also recognizing how race and class play a role in the experiences of Black women. And the fact that you couldn't uncenter yourself mm-hmm. so that that could just be the truth for the night but that you had to be like, you know what? No, I recognize this. So I'm going to, I'm going to read the black one when that wasn't for you, which is another point of privilege, right? Mm -hmm. That you are just taking the privilege to read something that wasn't even addressed to you. Um, That, I mean, that in itself, you know, white supremacy has uh, a history of taking liberties that are not theirs, taking land that is not theirs, taking people that is not theirs. And so for you to Mm -hmm. take a thing that I wrote for black women and you took it in. I just like, I just had to, I had to say something about that, but I wasn't about to go into any more detail than that. I was like, y'all, white people need to clean up what this white woman just said, you know? Um, but yeah, there was absolutely like, I think people want to just relate with you. And it's like, you know, the hard part of doing this work is to also say, you can actually just be quiet and be like, yeah, that's that's difficult I bet that is very difficult you can just you know you don't have yeah. to say my experience blah 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 you can just be like I'm gonna hold space for your experience right now and that's what that whole night was about and uh still had you know people wanting to interrupt you know yeah and I, I mean it's
0: obviously I think as we've probably all noticed thanks uh, to just the amount of news that has like negative news in the last year, three years, five years, 10 years, Mm -hmm. whatever, is that people have a really hard time holding multiple ideas at once. Mm -hmm. And I find it fascinating that people can't acknowledge like, oh yes, I have difficulties in my own life. Imagine what somebody else who has the added layer of being a person of color has in theirs, right? Like that doesn't make your, life experience as a white woman, invalid, or that, you know, you haven't been treated rudely or whatever. Like that's part of being a person. We all get treated in not great ways. Sometimes Mm -hmm. Um, it can be character building. It's also very hurtful. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: when every encounter you have, you have to wonder like, Oh, that person not smile at me. Or was I asked this because I'm not white? Like that's an added. And I think for whatever reason, people have a really difficult time. There was a really good, uh, it just sort of introducing the complexity of situations. I read where somebody was like complaining about having service dogs in ride oh. because, um, because other people have allergies mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, that's a complexity in the world that exists, right? Like mm-hmm. people do need service dogs and there are some people who are severely allergic. Like there is humanity in both. Like Mm -hmm. there is space for both people to be upset about how they're being disadvantaged by the other, but like, but you don't need to like be angry at the people. It's just Mm -hmm. frustrating. And sometimes life is frustrating. Like, and the fact that people can't, there's layers. Exactly. Like the, the, the inability to have like nuanced ideas and wanting everything Mm -hmm. down to like really just shortened concepts is really something that I hope if there's an outcome from everything that's been going on publicly Mm -hmm. is that people can go like, Oh yeah, it's probably not great that we as Americans haven't been taught critical thinking skills Mm -hmm. and want everything reduced to a headline and don't want to dig deeper. Mm -hmm. Like that's a value we should change.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) like,
0: Like there's a lot of complexity to life and it makes it great. It also makes it tricky and it's, yeah, it's, the the zine was really really cool and i like because it was already flipped over to the white side when i picked it up i didn't see the other side so i had been reading it and then reading upside down and then when i got to the end i was like oh whoops
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: yeah (laughs) because i was reading i was like oh this is beautiful but i did obviously because i knew i was going to interview i i read like the the book it, like the intro where you encourage women. And I think this is something that we like sort of, um, we mentioned earlier, but I really love that you also like encourage black women to like engage with it. Mm-hmm. And on the white side, it was like, Hey, just, just listen, just <laughs> listen. And I yeah. loved that. Like I really thought that both like artistically and then also, um, planning wise, like that really, to me, married your craft as like an artist but then also a graphic designer from the perspective of like um, you were talking earlier about how you like connect a bunch of dots and like I um, I use like the phrase systems thinking for that a lot Mm -hmm. because that to me is what you're doing where you're going like okay how do these all play together like you're coming at it not just from a graphic design perspective but like a, the awareness of how people think, like the impact like you're coming at it from all, with all this knowledge and, um,
1: I literally use systems thinking. thinking. I use that and I just didn't want to sound pretentious. So I was like, I'm a connector, (laughs) but I literally will say that in like design spaces that I was like, that is, that is how you are. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's beautiful. I love that. So let me look at my other notes. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about CJMM and then I'll just have a few more questions and I'll let you go because I know it's like getting later and we've been on here for a while. So I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, So with CJMM in particular, the hundred year mark is coming of a like really just horrifying. I mean, I suppose, of course it's horrifying. It's inherent in what happened. It was a Mm -hmm. lynching in Duluth, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Duluth, to my understanding is like the first city to have a memorial for the victims of a lynching. Mm -hmm. Um, You have been involved with CJMM for how long?
1: Almost two years. Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: And has this work in particular felt weightier and heavier to you than the other projects that you work on? Like what has your experience on this project been?
1: I actually wouldn't say that uh, content wise it feels heavier Mm -hmm. Um, because I I honestly feel like I feel like Umbra was really really heavy for me because it was so 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 personal but I think it has been the heaviest as far as work capacity Mm -hmm. that this is the heaviest project for sure that I am working on tangibly and using my craft. It's just, it's a lot of work. Yesterday, I'm um, I'm on spring break this week. And so yesterday I was like, oh, I'm gonna work half the day on CJM and half the day on this other client. And I've been working, I'm still working on CJM right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, so it has been the most time, time consuming thing. I don't think I'm necessarily like thinking all the time, like, oh, it's about a lynching and oh, it's about these men that died. And oh, it's about this trauma, blah, blah. It, to me, it's more about like, time that it's taking for me to get all of the images done because i thought it would be cool to have these like really cool like grainy effects and like they just slow down my computer it's the point where it's like mm. the spinning wheel and it's just been really really time consuming that part and just it takes out a lot of like i'm like oh yeah i could just i could finish this really quickly if i didn't have these effects on it but i was like it'll add to the the mystique and kind of eeriness of like the lynching and I guess I made a decision to make something a little more creative than, you know, and, and now I'm kind of like slowed down by that. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: like I said, I don't think it's, I think, I don't think it's as heavy. The content, I think it's, this is the most time consuming project that I've taken on. And this is all, it's all volunteer. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Design work that I'm doing for this. Um, So I think that might add another layer on it, probably psychologically. That like, okay, you're actually not getting paid to do any of this. And yet it's taking up, the most time you know uh, to
0: do so well that yeah that is notable <laughs> certainly <laughs> and you and jordan are working on this together and for listeners who maybe didn't hear before or weren't paying attention rude um <laughs> jordan is her husband and they have been he is oh my goodness i'm spacing on his title i had it ready for his episode and i'm spacing um, on it right now
1: i mean can you the organizer Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah. Thank for you. 2020. Yeah. He's the organizer for the 2020 commemoration event. And obviously, oh, and then they also have uh, Blackbird revolt together. So you're working together in various layers where it's this project, mm-hmm. your company so presumably other projects. You're also married. Uh, ergo, you also live together. Mm-hmm. How do you two, like what kind of boundaries you set to manage your relationship and also work? Are there boundaries? What have you found that works? What doesn't? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a lot of questions.
1: Yeah, I know. What I found that works, like before CJM started, we actually had a really good good boundary set for like not doing work in the living room,
0: Mm. but
1: only working down in the office when we had just got our house. And it was working out so great. But this CJ, like I said, it is the most time consuming thing. So it's like if I really were to be down in the office working on CJM, I would never be back upstairs. So I've just been working up here and then he started working up here. I mean, I I get that it was me. I started it. And so then it's just been like this continuous thing where it's like even last night as I was like getting ready for bed and I was like laying in the bed and he asked me a question (laughs) about something with the promotions committee. And I was like, I can't answer that right now. (laughs) so like i think we both recognize you know like we can both at least say like i can't you know like if jordan's playing video games he's like i can't there's no i can't answer the question like you have to ask me later you know um and so like i think we're able to like voice it pretty clear to each other like hey Mm -hmm. like this i'm 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 eating cookies right now like which is really one of my things i like make the toll house cookies and like i'm like chilling right now i can't i'm watching the office or whatever you know like so, I think we're able to verbally say that, but I, I will say CJM has really is causing it's like it's really just taken over.
0: <laughs> you can't wait until July, is what you're saying. Can't
1: wait until July 16th when I no longer have to create any. No, I
0: mean, like when the whole month is over because I yeah. imagine even after June, like even June, yeah. you're just gonna sleep for like and like be catching up, and in July, you'll be like, oh,
1: yep, yeah, okay, yeah. I think the boundaries will be reset. It's just like this project it, because it is. It is making national history, this project. And so, you know, both Jordan and I really have a strong work ethic. And so we're gonna we're gonna make sure that it is to the best of it. Like if I wake up And I see a post that has a spelling error or like whatever, I'm going to start freaking out about it. And I'm going to get up and go to my computer. And then eventually 10 minutes later, he's going to come out and be like, Hey, like, why'd you go? Like, was I'm like, I saw something on a post. It wasn't right. The date was missing or blah, 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 or like something. Um, And so then he's like, Oh, okay. So like, that's kind of our reality at this moment. Um, Is this, is this healthy? No. (laughs) Like, I think that there needs to be, um, we, we're trying to like carve out a little time, but it, it's just so hard because he gets like 50 emails a day and, and it's just like the most stupid things. And then like um, and then I'm like having to work on all of these, all of the visuals and stuff. So, it, um, you know, it's just it's just hard. It is really hard. But like, I mean, we're going to make it. We're going to make it to this to June 15th. And then like after this, I don't think I could ever do a project of this size without having a team of designers, because I'm the only designer, you know? Oh, wow. So it's like, I have all of the people who are writing the content. I have the people who are making the posts themselves. um, But as far as creating all the visuals, that is all me. And so I don't think I would ever take on a project of this size without having two or three, at least interns or students or somebody working with me on this. Uh, It's just, it's a lot.
0: (laughs) That is, yeah, it is a lot. Wow. Well, I mm-hmm. think you've answered all my questions. Yeah. Um how can people before I ask you the very last question that I ask sure. everybody, um how can people who maybe can't attend the event because they're not in Minnesota or not around, how can they support CJMN? Like you know, social media, sharing it,
1: donating. Absolutely. It's absolutely sharing what we're posting and then it's absolutely donating. If they can't attend, but they can give financially that's awesome. Just cjm2020.org slash give. They can also just go to cjm2020.org and just look on the website and there'll be like some give stuff up there or donate button. But yes, absolutely. Financially, if you can give to our efforts, um, we are still raising funds because we have a lot to do on June 15th. And so um, that would be really helpful. Yeah.
0: And if, excuse me, if somebody is interested in hiring Blackbird Revolt, uh, how should they get a hold of you? And what kind of what kind of projects do you want to be working on? There's a question I should ask you.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, creative thinking and creative projects based around social justice. That's what we do. Um and like we do, I mean, we've had people reach out to us who like have their own um therapy practice and they like really focus on like equity based. I don't know, like but like things like that, like if it has a really cool twist like that, those are amazing projects because we can be really creative with that. Um we, we honestly we do events really well. Like we plan events really well, um, you know, especially events that are supposed to rally people or encourage people or empower people. Um, and so those are the those are some of the creative projects that we really love: uh, branding um, and anything you know, base where it's like getting people together um, around a cause. I think those are really important projects to us. So yeah. But if they would like to hire us, they can go to blackboardrevolt.com and click on our contact. Uh, contact uh, form and just contact us that way and we will get back to you. Um, I'm telling you right now, we're not going to be taking on any new projects until June. (laughs) Um, So um, that's kind of, kind of how we're set right now, but we would love to take you on this summer. um, You know, if if the project fits and, and, you know, we're, we're a good team. So.
0: And you as an individual are a really great speaker. Um, If do you do
1: speaking like hired speaking engagements?
0: I do. I
1: do. It's funny. I have like two coming up. Um, but yeah, folks can easily just contact me via my email at terry at BlackbirdRevolt.com. Um, that's the best way to reach me. You can also reach me by going to my website. So Teresamoses.com uh, is my site and you can contact me there as well. Um, but yes. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. I love what are you speaking on if you can share?
1: Um, so I'm speaking on, oh, I'm actually thinking about the topic cause it's not until May. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking around, about something around like justice and, and the arts or something like that. Um, but I don't know, I want to come up with a, a, a snazzier name <laughs> than that, but like something around like justice or maybe I just straight up say anti-racism. I did a talk recently that was about, uh, blackness and socially conscious design. Um, mm-hmm. and that was a really fun talk. I had a lot of fun doing that one. So I don't know. Maybe I just talk about blackness. I don't know. We'll
0: see. I love that. Um, as you said that I thought of literally the word like, ants because we talked about systems thinking,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and then also how racism is so systemic and that like anti-racist systems would be like a very cool because oh, I feel like yeah. where your brain's at already, like yes, you're already absolutely. there doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I literally wrote it down cause I was like, maybe that's what I'll use as like an intro part of this episode. But, um, yeah. So the last question I ask everyone is what, so as you know, the theme of this podcast is behind the scenes of whatever it may be. So whether that's like where a product comes from, what somebody does, how something's made, um, what a personal experience is like, uh, what is something that you would want to hear the behind the scenes of?
1: I think I might want to hear the behind the scenes and this maybe, maybe this is boring, but (laughs) maybe like around someone who has a really, really high up position in education. Um, mm. So I'm thinking like administration, but this person is still really focused on equity work. And I want to know, because like I sit there and I, I look at administration, I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, what decisions are you making? And I'm just wondering, what are all of the pressures that would allow, you know, something to not happen the way that I feel like equitably it would happen? Like so I think you Can would, you give me an example of like the things that would not happen? So, if say there's like a racist incident that happens at, at on a campus or something, um, and the response is like this dry letter to the campus that says like, I don't, you know, what I'm talking about. Like those very. So I'm just wondering why can't we call out stuff? What's really what's really going on in these meetings where it's like we have to be as safe as possible and not call out white supremacy? You know, I feel like I don't know. I'm just wondering maybe there's someone out there who's already doing this maybe it's mm-hmm. in canada because canada seems to be really forward thinking <laughs> on a lot of this equity work but like you know i'm wondering what is what's stopping people from being blatant about about white supremacy and uh, and about how we and our institutions shouldn't be standing for that stuff
0: and mm-hmm. even things as as like i mean It's wild. So uh, one of the episodes I have is with a friend of mine who, and it's the behind the scenes of what it was like for her pressing charges against the person that raped her. Mm -hmm. And we talk about, we don't even talk about her assault. We talk about all the aftermath, like the Mm -hmm. healing, what it was like healing while pressing charges. And it happened on a school campus and it's wild to me I mean, but it's not shocking, right? Like we say right. that, like, like even when you say Canada's being like really forward thinking, how wild is it that just being anti-racist and anti-rapist is forward? Yep. Thinking? Like yeah, it shouldn't I know. be that,
1: I know. it shouldn't yeah. be
0: that divisive. Like, like it's, and I can guarantee you almost with 90% guarantee that most of it is around fears about donor funding.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's sad.
0: But I'm sure, right, though, like, yeah, if you're like in absolutely. charge of a school and you're like, oh, but what if this donor pulls their funds mm-hmm. or
1: mm-hmm. what if
0: this makes us look bad and then this donor pulls their funds?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A, I don't understand why they're still relying on donors. We all pay an arm and a leg for school. How much more money do you need? Mm-hmm. B, like, do you really want, like, as much as I have my own issues with Howard Schultz, I love that in a shareholders meeting like years ago when somebody spoke out, basically saying that they didn't like that Starbucks was um, like standing with uh, prop eight or like whatever it was. Like basically Starbucks was very like friendly towards the LGBTQ plus community
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and the shareholder got upset. Howard Schultz was like, well then sell your shares. Yeah. Right. And it's like, then why do you want these donor funds of somebody who's not going to be on board with anti-racist and anti Mm -hmm. like sexual assault
1: messages?
0: Because, what are you what are you really saying because your your end consumer is the student.
1: Yeah. Like, well well they know what they're saying. They're saying the donors' funds is more important than the experiences of all the students of color that are there at that university. Absolutely. And that is really messed up. Um yeah. I'm wondering, you know, behind the scenes like do y'all actually see how that's coming across? Do you actually know that as a faculty of color that I now cannot count on you and trust in you that you would have my interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like I, for me I'm like can we dive into the education system why are the decisions being made this way yeah yeah
0: it's it's amazing how much a statement and I think maybe some people who don't feel threatened right like if you're a white man you don't feel threatened by racism um, so you don't know what it's like to not feel safe
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I I will say from f- personal experience that I was So, so when the 2016 election results came in, like I imagine most people felt this way, like for several weeks, I like didn't want to make eye contact with like basically any other white people Mm -hmm. like, and I'm white. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I really, I felt like, especially with white men, I felt like this is your fault. Mm -hmm. Like you let this happen. You let like a rapist into office. Mm -hmm. Um, amongst all of the other isms that he is, right? Um, And additionally, like, it just, and then with, when everything with the Muslim ban, it was really, like, it, yeah, I had a hard time just making eye contact with people on the street in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, looking into any person of color's eyes, I felt guilty where I was, like, I don't want to come off threatening by making eye contact. So I'm just, Mm -hmm. like, unless I'm going to smile, and also, how can I smile? I can't right now. Right. When the Muslim ban happened, the CEO of the company that I was at—I respect her so—and I—and I, it made me go like, "Oh, this is what it feels like to be safe." She sent out an email going like, "Hey, I think she sent out an email during the election too." But when the Muslim ban happened, she was like, "I just want to let everybody know here that like that is not something that I agree with. Like this company will never ask you." for X, Y, and Z, and, like, you do not stand with this administration, and I don't want you to have to question it based on silence. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, what a relief, like, to just know that I could go to work and know that from the top, at least, who knows Mm -hmm. how anyone in between felt, Mm -hmm. that, like, those sort of things were not, like, stood for, it makes a huge impact. Like, I felt like I could actually breathe at work.
1: Mm -hmm. And I
0: think a lot of people just don't know what that's like. And I've, I've definitely corrected members of my own family when I've been like, yeah, but by saying, by not saying like that, that is not okay. Mm -hmm. It leaves anyone who's vulnerable to that sort of behavior in question of like, is anyone going to stand up for me? Like, does anybody else care that how wrong this is? And people are like, well, of course racism is wrong. I'm like, is it that obvious? I don't know, because it keeps happening on like large scales.
1: Yeah, there's that there's that quote. Well, I can't remember who well, I can't remember who said it, but there's a maybe it's MLK. There's that quote about, um, you know, in the end, you know, it won't be the the words of our enemies that we remember, mm-hmm. it'll be the silence of our friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I hear, you know, when when MLK says silence is violence, that's what he's talking about. Um, and so, you know, these institutions, you know, I think they have so much power to make in that office, and they can Literally, call out stuff that would uh, that would influence students or people who are white supremacists from wanting to work at that university and wanting to... So, like, it would make your campus safer because people would be like, "Oh, they're super anti-racist. Let me not go over there." Mm-hmm. Um, but you would rather continue accepting checks from white supremacist students who have no no um, they have no inclination to like change. You'd rather mm-hmm. continue doing that than making your a majority of your students feel safer Uh, and so I'm just interested into like what is the logic
0: (laughs) yeah I wonder I would love to find someone who's actually either left that position recently so they can be Mm -hmm. more open Mm -hmm. because typically if someone's in that position they may not be as verbose
1: exactly I
0: would love to find somebody especially someone who was fired (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like wanting you know wanting to be verbal Mm -hmm. about that kind of thing yeah i will definitely keep my ears open and if you hear of anyone please do let me know like if anyone ever comes to mind because i would love to find somebody that would be fascinating yeah absolutely Uh, thank you so much for being on i really appreciate your time this was so educational and great
1: yeah thank you Lene. i appreciate it yeah i'll see you in june yeah absolutely see you then all right bye (laughs) okay bye bye
0: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of BTS Podcast. I'm so grateful that I got a chance to meet and talk with Teresa and to share this with you. As I mentioned before, please do find Blackbird Revolt on Instagram, Facebook, across the internet. Their work is terrific. And feel free to refer them to anyone who you think may be a good fit as a client. You can find them at Blackbird Revolt. Their work is so terrific. As I've said so many times throughout this conversation, I really, really recommend you check it out and see some of the projects that Teresa and I discussed during our conversation. Links are in the description of this episode. I really hope that you are getting involved in your community, self-educating on a regular basis. There are so many resources out there to do so. Please listen, be willing to learn, understand that we all make mistakes, and it's really important that we learn from those. There are an extensive amount of tools and resources out there to self educate around anti racism and to learn how to get involved in your community. I've shared many on my own social profiles. If you look on Twitter, you can literally look up anti racist resources and find a lot of great ones there's a lot out there. There's also a lot of great podcasts, including 1619, Pod Save the People. There's a recent episode of Hello Monday with Jesse Hempel that I highly recommend with Darnisa Amante-Jackson, who discusses equity in the school and workplaces. Dig into that. She shares just a really incredible framework around how to establish equity and do equity work within schools and organizations again thank you for listening music on this podcast is by benjamin betharam and take care of yourself